Am I speaking loud enough, people at the back? George? Okay, great. (coughs) So, So I've been away for most of a year and uh, just got back to Chithurst not very long ago. My memory's not really that good, but it it was a kind of couple of blurs ago that I arrived. (laughs) A few things have been happening. And uh, so uh, I'm a little bit out of sync with what's, you know, I, I understand intellectually what's happening, what's been going on and so forth, but I've been operating in a kind of different sphere for a while and I always find that I get uh, my teaching happens most best when I'm actually you know in a situation with people I've been watching or practicing with or so forth Um, but anyway this is the end of the retreat the retreat ended a little while ago, and uh, so I turned up right at the end of that. And it's a bit like, you know, when you turn up at a party at 2.30 in the morning. Everybody else is kind of schmoozed and slightly blurred and happy and loose, and you kind of turn up at, you know. <laughs> and you're trying to kind of <laughs> get in, get in get in tune, uh, but Lumpur's uh, made a, invited me to give a talk, say a few things, he thought he might be interested to hear what I've been up to, but it's a long story, <laughs> yeah, and uh, also it's, uh, I think it can get tedious, but just go through, then I did this, then I did that, then I did this, then I did that, and uh, and sooner try to just extract something, you know, which won't be all of it, but a bit of it maybe, or some themes may be useful for you. Uh, and uh, particularly at this time, and it strikes me that, that, you know, what really one of the themes that I was, it come in the back of my mind during this whole year, which I think is a theme that's pertinent for you always, but particularly this time when people are coming out of retreat, is integration. You know, we have these inner worlds of our thoughts and feelings and aspirations. Then we have, if you like, the outer worlds of stuff that happens, contact impressions, news, you know, which is sort of abstract contact, if you see what I mean. You hear what's happening in Angola or Vietnam or somewhere, and then people are doing things. You've got the kind of outside contact, your internal contact, and then your hopes and wishes, and then there's what happens. And 
you know, we, we want to bring forth what's good in our lives and how, how do we actually integrate, you know, because sometimes the, the, the experiences we have in meditation can be quite subtle and uh, soft, you know, you feel a sense of opening or spaciousness or, or joyfulness and then, you know, three days after the retreat's finished, <laughs> you've lost that and you're back into kind of reacting and, and feeling a bit tight and pressurized and urgent. So it's always, it always seems to be very crucial to, you know, how, without, how do you integrate? Because obviously the meditation experience is extremely valid and it's something that's precious. And yet also on one level we're living in this phenomenal sensory world and that's whatever you like to call it, but you, you can't avoid that, you can't ignore that. So how do these two meet, you know? And this, of course, is really, you know, what we look at the whole picture of the Dharma cultivation. And uh, certainly, you know, what the teaching of Dhamma, what teaching of Buddha Dhamma is about, is apart from, distinct from just the meditation system, is really based upon this quality of integration. Certainly there's, there's ample enough instructions on how to meditate as such, but then there's the whole sense of the Eightfold Path, um, uh, cultivation of parami, perfection, such as patience and honesty and determination and loving-kindness and so forth. They're really there to, to give you some kind of... Um, bearings on how to how to channels conduits if you like for how the heart as it purifies can still relate and have reliable ways to to handle um, the sensory world you know, with its ups and downs and its moral and immoral and violent and unfair and lovely and poignant experiences this is really crucial you know Maybe this is a very useful thing to to consider. You know, wherever one's cultivated internally meditation, what kind of channels are you going to use? How are you going to bring that out? Because you want to invest the kind of sense of confidence or assurance or well-being or determination or energy that you've cultivated in meditation. You really, you don't just you want to invest that and build up the kind of, if you like, it's the wrong word really, but structures or ways in which you can, um, things you can bear in mind, you know, to, so, you know, you begin to see where you, where your flashpoints are, where you get triggered and how not to go there or how to dismantle those triggers, how to, um, you know, what kind of angles one needs to, to, work on, you know. And in a way, this is the kind of uh, thing I was trying to practice. So I had this kind of gift of a, of a year. You know, well, that's an incredible gift. And uh, what do you do with that? You know. So I had a few things. Obviously, meditation is pretty much a staple diet for me. I do a lot of it, or a good amount of it, every day. 
and uh, something I always feel not, you know, whether I like it or not, it's just like it's essential as cleaning your teeth, or I just don't, you know, if I don't do that, just don't feel right. So something, you know, likes to feel a sense of groundedness, stability, perspective, you know, just to get things straight, and then spend time um, refreshing the mind, brightening the heart, uh, relaxing the body, you know, the, or at least the body energy, which can get quite uh, tense or get flat, you know. So, so these are the things I work on in, in meditation. And um, so that's going to be a big part of it. But then also in terms of the external domain, I think one of the kind of questions, though that's not quite the right word, but the sort of musings, of having uh, this year was okay, you know, you've been a monk for 30 years. Mm, yeah. Basically, yeah, I've no wish to do anything else, you know, it's fine. Um, what's the result of this? Mm. You know, well, well, internally and externally, what are the results of this? What's the kind of domain? What's the, what's the world like? What's a Buddhist monk's world like? You know, I didn't just to almost check it out against uh, not just my internal experience, but I always feel you've got to take your experience and walk it down the street and see what happens to it. If it falls apart, <laughs> it really wasn't worth very much, was it? <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, so I did some traveling and did a bit of teaching here and there and visited various monasteries and lots of airports <laughs> and, and so on, you know, just to see uh, in several countries, America, Canada, Australia, Thailand, South Africa, that's enough. And certain things became quite apparent, quite obvious, first of all was just um, wherever, wherever I went, there's incredible goodness. You know, a number of times, you, you know, coming through an airport and there's somebody there waiting for you, happy to see you, kind of wants to take you somewhere, ask you what you need, you know, give you a place to shelter. And it's, uh, so it's very precious, this, um, this kind of um, relationship that one, one lives in. And it's not just, hey, I'm getting a good deal, but, but clearly, <laughs> which I am, <laughs> be frank about it. <laughs> but also, you know, nobody's, I'm not twisting anybody's arm to do it, you know. People look genuinely pleased and, and happy, you know, to, to be, be a part of that, you know. The, the sense of making oneself vulnerable and... Uh, uh, and living morally and uh, so forth, um, you know, seems to really trigger off a tremendous sense of, of uh, tenderness and kindness in people. And this is great, isn't it? You know, everybody, everybody likes to be kind. People enjoy it. People like to feel trust. We enjoy that. You know, people, people like to have that, that sense. And then... Um, it provides this occasion. So I, this is right across the planet, you know. And um, 
you know, many, many things, unusual things. I remember my sandals. I've got these sandals that Ajahn Panyasaro made for me about seven or eight years ago. They're very strong sandals, but occasionally the sole starts peeling off. And um, so I think it glued back on again. So I was, when I was staying in um, New England, so I had this, somebody offered me a kuti in New England. His sole started peeling off. So the man said, do you need anything? Well, I said, it'd be useful if I could get this sole stuck back on again. So he said, okay, I'll do that. He took it to the local shoe repairers, and this is, who was, I was a Russian. This cobbler was a Russian. And so the man explained what it was. It was for a Buddhist monk. And this, this, and, uh, and so I said, well, tell him, you know, that, uh, did you know that the terra, Teravada, and the Russian word starets are related. <laughs> I have this kind of mind that picks up these little... And starets is a kind of Russian word for priest or, you know, sage or something. So gracious. So, so anyway, um, so I said, you might like to know that, you know. <laughs> no particular reason, just to give him a sense of what was happening. And so this, the, the guy fixed the shoes, you see, and the man went back to pick up the shoes, and this guy said, you know, I have this glue, you know, which is $5 for a jar, and this glue, which is $20 for the jar. I use the good glue for the monk. <laughs> I use the best glue I got for the monk. You know? <laughs> That's really sweet, isn't it? You know, it's a Buddhist monk, so use the best glue. I didn't even know the man. But the sense of, you know, what that means. Somebody's trying to live morally, and um, you know, just got a pair of sandals, and. Uh, didn't want any. They wanted to buy me another pair. I said, no, these are fine. Just glue them up, that's all. <laughs> uh, so things like that, yeah, it's quite remarkable in a non, in the so-called non-Buddhist country. Mm. And you get these interesting things happen in airports because wearing this stuff, you know, shaven head, it's quite clear, well, what you're not anyway. And... Uh, yeah, <laughs> it can, it's it's like a it's like an invitation. You know, I walk somewhere and sit down, and uh, people look at it, and somebody will kind of say, "Who are you then?" You know, and you strike up these interesting co- acquaintances in airports with people who start saying, "Oh, you know, my daughter's doing this, and I don't really know what to do about it." And I say, "Well, yeah, you know, but you did that when you were sixteen too." And they go, "Oh, yeah, right." No, <laughs> and they look happy, you know. So I have quite a few of these occasions where uh, just 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 being in this form, people would get a sense that this is someone I can talk to, who who will be compassionate, you know, if not wise, at least compassionate. Somebody will listen to me, not to shove off. And even so, also I spend quite a bit of time because I might be in the airport two or three hours before the plane left. So I'd, you know, sit there and you think, what are you going to do? So I think, well, you know, tacky newspaper, really tacky newspaper, glossy magazine, you know, perfumes, holidays. I don't read that. Okay, I just cross my legs and sit there, you know. 
hour, just sit there. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> I don't want to do anything. And one of these times, I, was, I think I was sitting in Toronto airport, you know, so I had this time there. And I was noticing I kind of closed my eyes. And, and then I, just before I closed my eyes, I saw some people sitting down. There was a woman sitting somewhere over there, and she was sort of sprawled out, looking a bit kind of battered and, and uh, you know, twitchy the way a lot of people are when you've got nothing to do. So then I kind of sat down, closed my eyes, pulled my legs up, cross-legged on this kind of seat, sat there for about 20 minutes, I opened my eyes, looked up, and she was doing the same. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like she'd seen me doing this, and so she'd sort of pulled herself together and was sitting doing the same thing. So I thought, this is, isn't this nice? You know, and you kind of... So I used to feel very a little bit nervous about being in public, you know, sticking out, because, you know, something makes me quite shy. Uh, now I feel really proud of it, you know, you know, in a bossy way, but wonderful to put this thing, wave it around, you know, and then somebody will pick something good out of it. Uh, you know, and uh, many, many things of that nature occurred, you know, cu- even customs, people, and People in ticketing would kind of you'd feel that their, their kind of energy would change, or the tonality of their voices would soften, and they kind of ask you something off the cuff. Uh, or you sign yourself in an airplane, and somebody kind of looks at you a bit nervously, and then they, you know, they want to have a word with you. So I, I really like like that kind of a holistic sense of the, you know, the the occasion for goodness that arises when one you know, in this particular form, renunciate, moral form that you're advertising, and how people will are touched and triggered by that. So this, I think this is really wonderful, you know, because you see so many horrible things on the planet, you read about these horrible things, you know, happening and violence and nastiness going on, and then, but you also see somehow pushing through that like a like a little flower pushing through this, through a concrete road comes the flower of human goodness kind of keeps pushing through all the rubbish and the, and the violence and the atrocities that people do to each other you know and something keeps kind of forcing its way through and it's a lovely little flower of of that which you know, which wants to feel trust and wants to be generous and wants to you know, set our lives straight and uh, live, live, live in a harmonious and uh, truthful way. So this was very, I found this very inspiring. You know, it's kind of see, seeing the integrating quality that happens, if you like, on the external level. But, uh, of course, um, you know, sometimes... I had time on retreat, and the, the, the longest occasion on retreat was I had this uh, set up in uh, Western Australia, a monastery in Western Australia, the, um, Bodhinyana, and Ajahn Brahmawangso and the community there actually invited me to come and, and, and use, they got a special retreat kuti. And so, where you completely sort of isolated the, what they regard as the best 
conditions for retreat. And uh, so there's, uh, you, you have your 150 acres of land to myself with a few kangaroos, but they, you know, I don't mind that. <laughs> Be generous. <laughs> and just this one kuti. And the kuti is an incredibly, uh, it's a brick built thing with its own shower and a kind of gas bottles. So, you know, you can have running hot water, shower, and a, a gas burner so you can brew up tea. And the walking meditation path, which is covered because they get very fierce sunshine in Australia. And, um, you know, you get easy to get sunstroke if you're out walking in the sun. So, um, so I thought, well, okay, you know. Generally, my, my take on life, particularly spiritual life, is wherever there's some door opens, it's like, okay, well, you go through that one. You know, that's what's being offered, so try that, see what happens. And then you thought, okay, you know, this could be it, this could be it. This is the big one, you know. Intense retreat, get in there, get down to it, finally, you know. No excuses, no faxes, no emails, nobody bothering me, nothing I have to think about. Monastery can fall apart, it's not mine, I don't care. <laughs> you know, and I won't even know what's happening. And I just, this is it, this is going to be the, the thing, you see. Be, you know, so this is obviously, you know, uh, setting yourself up for huge, huge, disaster, huge disappointment. And so anyway, I went to this, and with this uh, setup, it's not just the physical setup, but even um, it's so isolated, you don't have to go to anything, nothing. No patimoka, which normally monks have to go to, because they've created it almost like a separate monastery. So technically, you're in a separate monastery, you don't have to go to the fortnightly recitation, or you don't have to go for the meal. So the way they did it was they'd have um, a kind of box with a lid on it, on the top of a hill. And every day, one monk would come over with some food and put it in this box. And then I'd come up the hill, pick up the food, and go down to the kuti. You know? So that happened every day. So it was whatever food they chose to stick in the bowl, however much, that's what you got. And uh, uh, a flask of hot water, and so forth. So, and then tea and things in the kuti. So absolutely no contact at all. So this is it, you know. So now this <laughs> it's just your mind. <laughs> okay, no no more excuses, you know. <laughs> so uh, uh-huh. And I thought, well, uh, while I'm doing this, let's get serious. You know, I thought, well, I'm, you know, I've read enough Buddhism by now. My goodness, so it's just stop reading things, you know. You know, you know this stuff backwards. Well, you should know enough by now. So just stop reading and um, just do it, you know. But at the same time, I also, I know my, my mind well enough to... to to, to think, yeah, you know, but it's not just about doing it, it's about being it, you know, so just uh, not to make this into some kind of Olympic session. So just to kind of be
be there. And Ajahn Brahm himself said, you know, don't worry, you know, don't have to get anywhere, just enjoy yourself. He was very generous, you know, just fine, whatever you want to do, just fine. But I also thought, well, I'm here, I won't even go out for walks, I'll just sit in this kuti for three and a, three and a half months and uh, walk up and down the path, which was immediately outside the kuti, that's it. And my one meal a day. So that's more or less what I did, more or less. Um, and then the question comes, well, you know, integration begins at home. How are you going to integrate your body, your mind, your thoughts, your memories, your aspirations, your madness? <laughs> All of it, you know, how you can actually integrate that. That in a way is the kind of uh, the uh, setup. Because, uh, you know, if you're looking for integration, it has to begin here, doesn't it? And most of us probably experience ourselves as a mass of bits and pieces that aren't all that sometimes contradict. We get happy, we get sad, we desperately, you know, we, we seek harmony, yet we get angry and irritated with people. We want to be kind and generous, and yet we sometimes we get grumpy and, and uh, bitter. So you've got all these kind of contradictions going on in there. You know, as if, our, if you like, you know, using the terminologies of the defilements, and then there's also the great virtues and blessings and so forth. So how does all this stuff sort itself out? Um, this, you know, I didn't, don't, didn't really have much of a game plan, but just to sit, do basic stuff that I know what to do, you know, to sort of breathe in and out, calm down a bit, reflect, and just witness, witness the mind. Hmm. So I did this all day. After a while, you, you don't really want to witness the mind anymore. <laughs> Is there another channel I can, I can play? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's a bit tedious at times. You know, you've seen one breath, you've seen them all, really. <laughs> So you get that kind of thing, oh, geez, wow, you know, God, oh, what's this going to go on for? Okay. You know. <laughs> uh, and sometimes, uh, to be honest, you know, sometimes it's very, very lovely states of mind, quite blissful and quiet and happy, joyful states of mind, quite beautiful. Um, and other times, just kind of low energies, dull, you know. And uh, then also, I, I kind of also try to just to, to, to keep the thing open, like just have some time where I just sit there. There was a chair and a little table, and I just sit there. Not, med- not meditating, might sit there with a cup of tea in my hand, just sit there. Okay, so what, you know? What happens when you're you're off the uh, when you're not on track, as it were? What comes up? And sit there, and 
you know, one, so just open up to, to whatever. And one thing that was kind of strange about this situation was, you know, I always had this kind of impression Australia, kangaroos, and a cricket, and lots of sunshine. Well, there's no cricket outside the cootie. There were a few kangaroos, there was no sunshine. I was there about 100, must have been over 100 days, and for about 90 of them it rained. Just thrashing, the Indian Ocean emptying itself over this cootie, just grey, thrashing rain, you know, and wind. Gales, so you get this kind of sound of the, the wind in the shutters moaning, Ooh, and the shutters rattling, and it's kind of. You listen to that, and you think, oh god! <laughs> Sounds like all the souls of hell, you know, are out there moaning, moaning and howling, and you start, you get funny, this kind of feeling of, you know. How long is this going to go on for? And the cootie itself, though it's very adequate, it was, you know, the, the, put it tactfully. Um, aesthetics is not a major issue at, at Bodhinyana. <laughs> so it's just basically a white brick wall in front, you know, just sitting there with this brick wall, looking at a brick, and I thought, don't count the bricks. <laughs> this, this is the way to madness, you know. Just don't count the bricks. There's seven in each row. No, don't do that. Seven in each row. There's ten. No, no. <laughs> so I was looking at this white brick wall, and this isn't the sound of the rain and the wind howling. Oh, God. And uh, the Buddha image is a kind of, it's, it's sort of one of these tokenic Buddha images, it's sort of stuck up about six foot up, so it's higher than when you stand, which is very respectful. When you sit down, you can't see it. <laughs> it's looking straight at the brick wall. So fortunately, I regard it as a little blessing. Somebody uh, sent me a little painting they'd done of the Buddha. It's quite nice, blues and yellows, kind of bright picture with his big wide eyes. So I stuck that on the wall in front of me. Just look at the Buddha, you know. And the Buddha was very, very sweet. Yeah. So I just kind of sometimes come out of that and remember the Buddha and the Buddha get a feeling of, of you know, the, the the purity and the qualities of the Buddha. Just kind of recollect like that. And that was quite helpful as as a as a as a catalyst. Mm-hmm. Because once you've, once you've kind of witnessed the mind, you know, you realize really what's there in essence. There's happy feeling, there's unhappy feeling. There's a lot of memory, huge amount of memory, and, and, and also impressions. You know, everything creates some kind of impression. The sound of the wind creates an impression. It's not just, an, not just something that happens to your ears. You just get a little flash of sunshine. You think, oh, sunshine, you know. Creates an impression, you know, sanya. 
And then, you st- and then when you go to your memories, they create tremendous impressions. You think of your mother, you think of your father, you think of your brother, you think of all the monks and nuns I've known. And they kind of, all these moods start moving. You know, nostalgia, fondness, regret, whatever happened to so-and-so, and you know, these things cause going on. So it's tremendous, this is really sanya, perceptions, impressions, memories, painful, pleasant. But the one thing about all of them is that, that there you are sitting in this white brick kuti and there's nobody there. <laughs> all these memories are like, like ghosts. You know? So even the nice ones, you, they're not there. All the friends are not there. You know? And uh, the, the things you feel you've done wrong and the things you should have said to so-and-so, you can't say now because it's just a memory. And, uh, you know, all that going on. See, it's kind of, this is the mind. It's, it's everywhere and nowhere. And you get these uh, impressions, feelings, and then you get uh, tremendous energies, uh, volition, in, intentions. As you suddenly, you know, you get. I suddenly remember something that uh, you know I should have done. All oh, right, you get this kind of buzz happening, or I get determined to 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 meditate, or to stop meditating, or to pull myself together or to write a letter to somebody. It kind of urges running through the mind. And, and you get a lot of thoughts happening. The mind is continually searching for some kind of object to pick up, know. And uh, there's a lot of things I know. It seems, you know, and so in these mind would just do this. I'd be remembering and knowing tiny little things you don't need to know when you're sitting in a kuti in Western Australia. There's not, you don't actually need to know anything, really. How to stand up, how to tell the time so you go and get your food. And you're sitting there remembering what happened when you were 11 years old in Droop Street Primary School. I was the ink monitor. <laughs> It's my duty to go and put ink in the ink wells in the school. I used to enjoy doing it. So you don't need to think that right now. Stop thinking that. <laughs> now I remember the teachers I had and how the math teacher was very nice, the physics teacher. You don't need to think that. Stop thinking that. So you wonder, you know, about this and so forth. So this is, this is that, you know. And so there's huge, seemingly quicksand of memory and thoughts, and little pieces of information just shifting around. And I expect this is what happens for you too, isn't it? But when you actually, there's no interruption. <laughs> you know, nobody comes in. There's nothing to switch on. There's no book to read. It just you realize this is going to go on for as long as you give it time. And uh, there's a kind of, uh, there's a sort of, they, they spiral as well. I could pick up a, uh, like a, a negative impression and suddenly the whole world would go that way. So I start to feel 
some sense of regret, then I think of all the things I've done, didn't do well enough. I can't really think of anything I've really done wrong, you know, like really nasty. I don't think I've ever done anything really nasty. But it's things I wish I could have done better. So think of one thing, and then that's, that's the theme. So I think all the things I should have done and how I didn't do it, you know, and I could have been this. And probably that monk disrobed because of me. And if I'd have been good enough, then he'd have been happier and so on. And, you know, by the end of half an hour, I'd convince myself that i have been a complete failure and a disaster and a blight on the human race. <laughs> you know, and I'd come out and think, wait a minute, you know, what's happening? You know, and so you, you think, what is this? You know, this is just the mind doing this. And uh, so, and then, you know, you, so you realize. And then I was trying to think of something, and at that moment I couldn't think of a single good thing I'd ever done. And I thought, this is ridiculous. I must have done something good, surely. And I thought, well, I struggle, I scratch my head. I remember making breakfast for my parents when I was about nine. So in 56 years, I've done one good thing. <laughs> that was a struggle to get that. And the rest, after nine, it was all downhill. <laughs> and then one time I remembered, uh, I, I was thinking, imagine Sumato, and I, I was thinking of him, and I felt kind of warm feeling, and I remembered I'd, I'd edited these books, and I thought, really... Oh, yes, I did something else good. But the rest of my life has been, you know, disaster. And I think, this is just not true, is it? And yet the emotion was there. You know, very strong feel, very strong emotion. All the information needed to back it up. You know, at a touch of a switch, the whole lot could come in. And you realize your mind is either a liar or insane. And this is all you've got. <laughs> this is what you've got to work. This is, this is what's leading your life. Either a madman or, or a liar. <laughs> and you know, and this, is, this, is, this is who I'm living with and for the next three and a half months in this cootie. <laughs> a madman or a liar. <laughs> Ah, right. So um, you know, just actually, how do you get how to learn how to live with a madman? Yeah. So there's no point trying to convince it otherwise. So actually, I'd go back and I'd look at the Buddha. Uh, and just you know. It's as real as anything else. I recognize that when you're dealing with the mind, you're not dealing with ultimate realities. You're dealing with triggers and impressions. So I look at that Buddha and I feel a sense of the Buddha wouldn't give up. He would, he would accept you. Whatever you're mad, idiot, whatever. This is the Buddha would, wouldn't turn you away. He never turned anybody away. I just stay with that. That's, that's good. doesn't matter if it's true or not, 
I don't think this piece of paper with a picture is actually really a Buddha, but it, I'm not fussy. It's good enough. Because, <laughs> you know, you're just using suggestions. So then I developed this um, kind of Buddha Nusati. So every morning I'd sit there a couple of hours, just sit in front of this Buddha, first look at it, and then just, uh, just imagine being in that presence. Hmm. And which is saying, you don't have to make anything out of anything. That's whatever, it's fine with me. You don't have to make anything, you don't have to develop anything, become anything, remember anything, think anything, that's fine. And I feel so grateful to be a disciple of the Buddha. And uh, and then you know the sangha, which I can, on one level of my my madness, can see is just the field of endless regret. (laughs) Things I should have done and how it didn't work out, and so and so left, and he was bitter, and she was disillusioned, and so forth, and things like that. And uh, all the good people who I don't feel I've ever really expressed my respect for, you know, all the very good monks and nuns that I'd, so I never managed to really feel I've, you know, done enough for all those kind. Of, this is, so it's, you know, it's like that, you know, with my mind, on an emotional level. And I just, just, just actually remember the Sangha as, oh, I'm so grateful that there's been that kind of container, you know, there's been that sort of human presence of, of our other people who, who try. And even better, other people who fail. You know, it would be terrible if everybody else was perfect and sane and I was the only nutter, wouldn't it? <laughs> so I'd even find the kind of, the little idiosyncrasies and, and, and flaws in people, something that gave me a sense of, 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 of uplift, you know, of warmth and companionship. You know, you don't have to be, start off as an arahant. You can start off, be, you know, as an aspirant. And the, somehow the, you know, the disagreements and the irritations and the disappointments, actually, I suddenly could see it as a sense of, well, thank goodness, you know, we're all humans. And uh, we're actually all living models in some ways of the Dhamma. There's this kind of our, our residues and our instincts and our habits, and yet there's this kind of indomitable goodness that just keeps kind of pushing through, and you're living in a field of that. So I feel, where would I have been without, without the Sangha? Where would I have been without the Buddha? Where would I have been without the teaching? You know? And just, just um, I get, you know, these aren't just ideas, really, because you know, I'm talking, so they're words, but I just pick up a little bit of that and then just feel the relief and the gratitude and just sit in that, in gratitude, sit in gratitude, sit in contentment, and sit in humility, not having to be the best. And that's 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 um, a lot actually. Something in me would like to be the best. Uh, you know, something we like to be excellent. 
really would like to be, you know, have achieved the gold stars or something, you know. And, uh, to, you know, you, you don't have to be excellent or the best. You know, that's uh, that's part of what sangha is about. So I I just sit without just feeling content to be not the best. (laughs) I'm grateful that something that allows me to to be not not you know the ideal. This you know. So that, that became a kind of real foundation in that time. And it, uh, beautifully, because I hadn't really planned this or figured it out, it'd been something that's sort of been a theme that keeps coming up in my practice because of that, um, because of the um, conditioning of my mind, which is I really want to do everything. I want to make everything work. I want to make everything perfect. I want to make everybody happy. I want to produce teachings that just diamond-like clarity that everybody understands and is profound and yet easy to understand. Is humorous and yet deeply penetrating and so forth. You know, and everybody just loves it and immediately gets enlightened and so forth. That's what I want to do. And nobody's going to say, what a boring drag that was or what the hell is he talking about? Or fall asleep, you know. So, <laughs> you know, this is what my mind does. Uh, so, you know, just just to actually be able to be to to let that go, there's a tremendous uh, blessing to feel. There's a kind of place place to let that go. And in that place, actually, there's a place of integration. Because then, from the place of refuge, there's the, there's the good. There's the not bad. There's the not so good. There's the downright ghastly. <laughs> and yet all of it is... There it is, you know. This is just the mind. This is the mind, you know. And uh, you know, and really, kind of feeling that, just beginning to feel it as an energy, you know, the mind as a formed energy. And so, as I began to contemplate that, I could actually feel the mind in the body, you know. So when it gets urgency, I could feel anything tensing up in the chest. You know, I feel happy, the chest would seem to open and brighten, face would relax, and then something would seem very intense, I could almost feel my head closing down, my belly knotting up, you know. So the, just feeling the mind as, as, a, as a body thing, rather than just believing in the thoughts, and then just kind of relaxing the body, opening the body, and um, really getting the sense of responding to the mind from a place of... of Buddha or compassion, and uh, not not belief, but not not dismissing it, not just kind of saying, "Well, that's a load of old rubbish." But whether it's rubbish or not, you're feeling it. So, what's needed here? And just kind of holding that with some care and some generosity. I think 
people have been so generous to me. Can I not be a little bit generous to myself? Yeah. If I could be a tenth as generous to myself as other people have been to me, that would be enough. <laughs> so, you know, these are the kind of imbalances, aren't they? I don't know if you have the same thing. Mm. How, you know, one certainly I can give a dog more regard than I would give myself. Even not very good dog. <laughs> so it's kind of the, the that, and I began to recognise that as soon as the formation occurs, something seems to occur where I start to something starts to think of me and myself. Everything goes out. As soon as it starts to form a sense of me an identity which is always based on some kind of memory which is either good times that have now passed or things that weren't quite good enough or things you want to have, hap- you know, impression of something you want to happen in the future. In other words, unsati- unsatisfied in itself. As soon as that begins to occur, there's a kind of tightening and a contraction and if you don't watch it, you spin into topics and issues and people and memories and then it's, it's uh, a fantasy show. And I could actually sense that. And then, where's the ending of that? Where's the ending of formations? Where's where's the where's the end? And it was to do with the ending of self, which doesn't mean you know one kind of blips out of existence. But the self as a kind of a formed thing, a forming thing, a kind of habit. You know, and when you when you see it in the in the nakedness of there's actually nothing to hang it on to, there's nobody who's talking to you, there's nothing you've got to do. So the normal ways in which we create ourselves through response, contact with other people, or things we're doing, that's gone. There's just the kind of basic material of creating a self out of thin air. You know, you really see it for what it is, and this is pain. This is pain. This is dukkha. And, uh, and then letting it go. This is where it stops. And how, how, does, how, do I let it, how does it let it go? Do I let it go by, by telling myself to snap out of it? Nope. Do I let it go by trying to create myself as a good person? Nope. Do I let it go by, you know? No, you let it go just by actually feeling the experience of it forming, knowing it as that, and some kind of, you know, not reacting at that place. Not reacting to that. Not buying into it, not dismissing it, not jumping into something else, and just feeling the sense of self. And then, with the... There's something bigger than that happening. This is something formed. So a form always occurs, in a, if you like, in a background. Like I can see all of you against the background of something else. Yeah. When you begin really experiencing your sense of self, is, is something that kind of arises, like it takes form out of, you know, out of nowhere, you know out of just an unformed, this form arises. And then it 
changes and it dances and it moves around. And mostly one's just interested in the dance. But we just get to the sense of form, forming. You know, an energy happens. It's actually an energetic experience. Something kind of winds up, tenses up, bunches up, runs, gets excited. It's an energy thing. And you just relax the energy. And the thing kind of, you know, unforms or deforms or the form dissolves. So this is kind of what I was doing. That's the way it seems now, anyway. But that unforming is not, wasn't a kind of, it was a very uh, compassionate or, or full response to form. It wasn't a, you know, a putting it down or dismissal or indifference. It's actually, you know, we all, this happens to all of us, doesn't it? And in that, in that sense of, of self, we can feel alone. I could feel incredibly alone and bleak. We feel a sense of needing to do something, uh, wanting things to go a certain way in our lives, uh, remembering who we were, uh, some uncertainties about that, what we're going to do tomorrow, how we can help so-and-so. It's... You know, it's not miserable, but it's kind of busy and it's, it's unsatisfied. It's, it's shifting, it's changing. It doesn't find firm ground. It never really achieves completion. This is what's happening for us, isn't it? And our whole lives could be spent just trying to find something that that thing can form around that will say, this is it. You know, the meditation experience, the romance, the relationship, something will say, you know, you finally found it click, you know, and you're in a perfect form. Dream on. <laughs> don't, don't dream on, is my advice. <laughs> so what does that mean? Is it all, you know, miserable or hopeless? No, it means there's actually a response to that experience. When we re- kind of really see that as a phenomenon, sense of, uh, wow, how all these good folk, you know, how all this good energy, all these, how, it, how, it, how it suffers, isn't that regrettable? And there's a sense of heart with that, in my experience anyway. So it's a response to the self-experience, or a response to the forming, yeah. And uh, that they, they can un- unform. This to me is really you know, what the path is about. We're looking for realities. I can't, I can find many things that happen in my mind, in the world around me, many things that happen, many impressions, they definitely, they definitely occur. Mm. But when I, you know, I can't say that they're actually absolutely true. I imagine if you and I had a conversation and then tried to report what we'd said, we'd have quite different memories of what we actually said or what the mood was, you know. We wouldn't be lying, 
That would just be uh, our take would be that, you know. This sitting here in silence, and I imagine some people are thinking, "I wonder how he is. Is he happy? Doesn't look very happy. Is he worried? Is he sad? Is he enjoying himself?" And maybe different people have different impressions of that. And uh, it's not. It's like that, isn't it? We're actually operating through something that doesn't have the ability to tell us the truth. It's not lying, it just doesn't have the ability to tell us the truth. (laughs) But when you actually contemplate that function, what you do know is a truth, because it it forms and it unforms. And so the real truth is, is, that, is that experience. This is the way it seems to me, you know, so just that's a kind of something you can bear, you know, you can think about, consider, contemplate, check out for yourself. And I don't I mean it doesn't actually invalidate the qualities of present moment experience, of talking, of acting and seeing, but it gives them some perspective. It means I don't actually really believe a single word I say. That's quite, I think that's useful. Because <laughs> it means that I, I'm prepared to, well, maybe it could be another way, you know. And so there's more possibility for integration in that, isn't it? Because I'm not just saying my thought is the right one, my opinion is exactly right, and everybody else has got to follow this. But, but at the same time, you know, this is my thought, and there it is, and you, you know, it's not wrong either. So, some sense in which one can, you know, have these personal experiences in the, in the world at large, but because you're not actually hanging on to them, then sort of, you know, things happen, if you like. People work things out, and... Uh, we share these experiences and we share them as genuinely as we can and we try to contemplate the energies that we're using with that. Are we coming from hostility or conceit or arrogance or compassion or love or whatever? You know? That's where the karma lies, that's where we're going to get the results. But in terms of this uh, retreat, then... You know, I could see how much I, you know, my attachment, particularly to the monastery, you know, and, and wanting it to work and wanting it to be good and so forth. So, you know, to sort of, okay, delete, <laughs> delete that program, <laughs> delete the identity, delete the abbot, delete the teacher, delete, you know, don't, because it's just, you know, it's just getting in the way. So as a kind of, for me, there's a kind of clearing of these, uh, these uh, self-perceptions that, that uh, operate and uh, take over things. Mm. A lot more space in the mind to 
to see how it is and what, what actually works and what's going to operate and how we can support each other and be part of it. Now, to me this is really is a, a, a wonderful um, indication of integration, you know, because I don't really want to, you know, part of me wants things to go my way, to be honest. But part of me says, don't go there. Because <laughs> if, if it does go your way, you're going to be carrying the whole dang thing, <laughs> operating everything, you know. <laughs> if you want it to go your way, you're going to control everything. You want to do that? You want to check everybody out, make sure they're doing exactly what you want them to do? Is that what you want to do the rest of your life? Yeah. You want to make, check everything out and be in control of it? You want to do that? Oh, no. <laughs> so it's not going to go your way, is it? No. <laughs> yeah. So, so then that, that to me is a, is a real um, blessing you know, to, 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 to see that possibility of, of um, you know, more benefit through things not being my way. Even though part of me wants it to be my way. I also uh, found that over the long time on retreat one goes increasingly dispassionate towards the mind really eventually it kind of doesn't matter because it's just that and uh, there's times when I remember just kind of one time just sort of standing somewhere, coming out, just standing somewhere in this kind of open state of not doing anything in particular, just being open. And then I was kind of looking, there was these flowers were starting to come out, and I was looking at the flowers. And I could sense actually there was something that wasn't being affected by anything. And it, it was something that wasn't thinking, and that it wasn't it wasn't an emotion. It had no particular aim. It had no particular energy in it. It was not happening. What's that? Part of me is not happening, <laughs> or part of this experience is the not happening. There's the happening, which is good and bad and happy and unhappy and wonderful and not so wonderful and then something not happening and it's always been there so it wasn't they call it space but space implies there's some dimension you couldn't call it that it's silent but silence implies something to do with sound you couldn't call it that all it was was just stop Stop. And uh, and always that was the sense of it. Always there, and just it's just stopped. And uh, it's rather like the experience. I, I'm trying to consider it. It's just like if you're sitting in your classroom, school, and they used to have the my school. They used to have these um, attendance rotors, where they'd 
you know, Sally Jones, yes, sir. Bill, Bill Higgins, yes, sir. They check out who was there, you see. So it's rather like that, you know, somebody's calling these names out. And, uh, and then you get to the end of that, you realize nobody's called your name. It's rather like that. You say, happy? No. Unhappy? No. It's like, there's something there that nobody's got a name for. And it's just a stop. I didn't know what to do. I said, well, nothing to do about it, really. But it was a kind of, uh, you know, something kind of was shifted because of that because it's begin to kind of recognize that all the happening that's that's in the world of happening and that requires response and so forth but it it just keeps shifting and changing and then there's the not happening which is where everything stops and the not happening doesn't deny the validity of happening and responsing, doing things, but it just keeps it in perspective. You know? And it was, so, I, you know, there's people, because in the world of happening, I'd like people to be happy and not die, and, you know, but they go and, they go and be unhappy, and some of them go and die. I didn't want them to do that, and they go and do it in the world of happening. Mm-hmm. I don't want things to change. I want things to settle down into a nice stable state. Nothing dramatic or untoward happening. And the world of happening won't do that. It keeps shifting and changing and being awkward and persnickety. <laughs> so, there, you know, and if you, that's all there is, one feels a bit besieged by it all. You know, you're, you're like you're, uh, you've got a, well, they did this lovely expression in Thailand where you've got uh, crabs on a plate and the crabs are always running off the plate. You know, you've got a big basket of crabs and crabs keep running off the plate so you keep trying to put the crabs back and as soon as you put one crab on another one runs off the other side. And that's happening, isn't it? <laughs> That's the world of happening. It's like that. You know, you've got 50 crabs and you've got six of them, 10 of them sorted out and then 10 of them go one way and you come on, get back, put this together. And, and then you cut that one down and then, oh, that's gone out. You get that one down and then, then your body goes out and you put, get your body together and then somebody else goes, you know, it's like that. That's, that's happening. It's just crabs on a plate. <laughs> so, and yet, you know, what are you going to do? Kill them all? <laughs> so, you know, it's a kind of, well, what, what, this one responds patiently, compassionately. Okay, bring this one back, put that one back, do as best you can with this. And it's, there's a sense of perspective about it, because we recognize this is all the world of happening can do for you. It can bring forth your ability to respond. 
to, to bring forth goodness, but it's not going to bring forth satisfaction in that respect. Only in terms, it's going to give you an occasion to practice. And when we practice, uh, the heart gets full enough to uh, let go of the need to form oneself into something solid. And, uh, and we begin to recognize a refuge in, in our experience. So this is kind of my, my retreat. And uh, I, after that I traveled some more. It was very interesting in being in Thailand and just seeing these identities coming and going. Very always interesting. You know, I, I went to the Western Monastery, Wat Pananachat. So when I, I got there, this kind of whole big thing, Ajahn Sujito's arrived and gave me his fancy kuti, and then the next day I'm out there, you know, number one, I'm the senior monk. That lasts for about eight hours. Then I think Ajahn Pasana arrives, so I'm shifted down two. And then Ajahn Tiradhamma arrives, so I'm shifted down to three. And then Ajahn Samedi arrives, and so eventually by the end of the week, I'm down to number 10. <laughs> and then as they leave, I gradually move up again. <laughs> so, the sense of who, you know, if you're the person in the, in the number one seat, you get this incredible kind of spotlight of attention. And you think, wow, you know. And then you're number 10, it's just, oh, you know. <laughs> so you kind of get the, the experience of... of self-forming and dissolving in different ways quite quite dramatically in that in that kind of scenario and you kind of you, you witness it and and it's it's uh, it's all very humorous because everybody is is well well respected and looked after you know there's nothing you don't get um, bad treatment but you really begin to see the tendency to take any position you know low, high, <laughs> the best, the second best, the not good enough, the end of the line. Taking any position as a, as a self, as a person, is, is, uh, is, is, <laughs> is suffering, stress. And yet, you can, when you know that, you, don't, you can be any of them. You can kind of move in and out of them. Hmm. So this, to me, is, is a really, personally, it's quite useful um, way, way of insight of seeing, okay, you know, we have to have identity, it's going to happen. I think most of the year I was trying to get away from being Ajahn Suchito. I've had enough of being Ajahn Suchito. I don't want people to treat me like Ajahn Suchito. I want to be somebody, I don't want people to regard me as Ajahn Suchito. Who are they going to regard you as? Sister Tanya? <laughs> You, know, you, you look very much like <laughs> so you know if any I can't ask anybody else to not call me so if, if I keep doing it you know it's got to stop here the creation of self has to stop here uh, by seeing it as just uh, uh, something that, that has its uses and purposes and you know is what it is and you make what you can of it and I hope it's of some use to some of you some of the time <laughs> 
So I'll uh, leave you with that for tonight. Thank you.